Welcome back to the Chaos Ball Podcast. After a week's hiatus, I am back. I want you to put the word out that we back up. That's me right now. Me. Did I just compare myself to Stringer Bell? I may have. Am I the Stringer Bell of Mariner's Podcast? I think I am. I don't think anyone else has ever claimed that before, so I'm going to claim it right now. And I'm back. I am a little sick. I've been a little under the weather this week, so this is kind of uh, kind of my flu game uh, podcasting mid-May about a baseball team definitely uh, has the same kind of weight to it as playing sick in the NBA Finals, I think, so at least. But I'm back. We're back. Uh, the Mariners in two weeks, honestly, crazy enough, uh, they haven't done anything significant to really catch my eye in these past two weeks. They still hover around 500 still have some offensive woes, pitching still been great, yada, yada, yada. To start the episode, and I think weekly, I'm just going to have a little five-minute rant, and I'm going to call it the five-minute rant, despite most of the time it's probably going to go more than five minutes. But my five-minute rant this week, before we even get to the, the chaos moment of the week, the baseball reference player of the week, my rant this week is going to be about the Texas Rangers As I sit here on May 21st, the Texas Rangers are leading the American League West Division. They're 29-17, two games ahead of the Astros, five games ahead of the Angels, and seven games ahead of your Seattle Mariners, and then the Oakland A's, uh, they're 20 games out. Uh, They're not mathematically eliminated, but they're probably about as close as any team in May has been mathematically eliminated before. Honestly, the Mariners being seven games back as a division lead right now, despite being 22 and 24, that's fine. Seven games in in May? Seven games in, like, August is pushing it. But seven games in May is very attainable to to reach at some point. But this is about the Texas Rangers. I will not admit that I was wrong about the Texas Rangers. I will not. I don't think I was wrong about the Texas Rangers. Going into this year... I haven't even listened back to my preview pod about them, but I know that I'm pretty sure I took the under, under 82 and a half wins on pace right now, obviously to go over that. There's still a lot of time for them to go under 82 and a half, I will say, but all the things that I said in my preview kind of still ring true. I still think it's very low floor, high ceiling team. Really what has surprised me is they're getting contributions from every single player like it's been a crazy offense and the pitching has been quite good to start the year despite DeGrom being on the IL right now but that was to be expected honestly the pitching is good but the offense has been fantastic it's been actually insane how good their offense has been I think they're second in the league or tied for second in record right now with behind the Rays and with the Braves they're second in run differential per game, it's sitting almost two and a half runs per game right now, which is pretty insane. That's second in the league behind the Rays as well. In terms of runs scored, second behind the Rays uh, by two runs right now. It's the Rays, Rangers, Red Sox are the top three, which is pretty wacky. It's it's and we knew their offense was going to be good. And I'm I highlighted it in the preview. I'm pretty sure like they just had a lot of young guys and they needed a couple of them to step up this year. All of them are stepping up. Every single young upside guy on this roster right now 
is tearing the cover off the ball. Like Jonah Heim has been the best catcher in baseball. Josh Young has looked like the prospect that was promised. Adolis Garcia is having a crazy year. Corey Seager was on the IL a little bit, but he's been hitting really well since coming back. Marcus Semien is Marcus Semien. I mean, they're getting contributions top down in this entire lineup, and it's honestly, honestly insane. Like, I was expecting maybe one or two of their young guys to really have a good year, but like Ezekiel Duran has looked great too. My dog also in the background is yelling about how good the Rangers' offense has been. I'm not going to edit that one out. It's just been top down. The whole lineup has just been raking. In terms of like the starting lineup, Robbie Grossman is at a 94 OPS plus. That is like the lowest OPS plus in the starting lineup. Like Leody Tavares is hitting really well too. Josh Smith has looked great. And like Nate Lowe, it's just the whole offense has been contributing. It's been kind of crazy. They're hitting the best case scenario. I think when I say low floor, high ceiling, like this is the ceiling of this team. They're crushing teams. Despite having a new ballpark, new globe life that is, you know, way less home run happy than their last ballpark. They're putting up so many runs. And I do think there's still holes on this team. And I think there's, I think there's regression coming for some of these guys on offense. Maybe, maybe I'd really have to look into their like expected and all that, but it's been very impressive to watch. Obviously I still think a bull, the bullpen's the weakness, but the starting lineup has been so much better than I thought. DeGrom was awesome. He got hurt, but that has been like one of the more expected things this year. DeGrom is on the 15-day IL. Andrew Heaney has been meh. Martin Perez has been good. Honestly, similar to what I expected this year. At this point, I think he's just a good starting pitcher. That could be 3-5 to five in anyone's rotation. John Gray has been insane to start the year. He's a 144 ERA+. Plus. I think that comes down to earth a little bit. But Nate Eovaldi, man, he's looked fantastic. He has looked Cy Young level type of pitcher right now. He's got a 2.83 ERA and 60.1 innings, 153 ERA plus, a 2.47 FIP, which is better than his ERA somehow. He's been insane. He's been ridiculous. Everything is advertised for him. Uh, I hope, I, I'm not a Rangers fan. I hope he can stay healthy all year, even as a Mariners fan, because it's just awesome to watch him pitch when he's blowing everything by guys. And the solid contributors in the bullpen... Jose Leclerc has been fine. Brock Burson, pretty good. Will Smith is great. Uh, and, oh, man, Will Smith sounds familiar. Oh, maybe maybe I was yelling at the Mariners the entire offseason to sign Will Smith or another reliever. Uh, maybe. No, it was. It was Will Smith. Look at it. It's Will Smith. He's good. Could he be valuable to the Mariners' bullpen? He could. Am I mad about not signing him? A little bit. A little. A little bit. Uh, whatever, yeah, whatever. This is about the Rangers. My point is, I may have been slightly wrong about this Rangers team, but right now I see it as everything going correct, and I don't think everything will go correct all year, but clearly their ceiling as a team is a bona fide playoff team. The one thing that I absolutely got wrong in my preview of this Rangers team, and I, I highlighted all of their offseason additions this year and like last year. They made a lot of good additions, and they've been contributing greatly to this team. But I think I underestimated one addition this offseason, and that was Bruce Bochy. Them hiring Bruce Bochy. I think I really underestimated how important that was for multiple reasons. 
Injury concerns aside, obviously I still thought there and think there are holes in this roster. But Bruce Bochy was retired. He retired in 2019. Maybe he predicted that COVID was going to happen and retired. No. He had to come out of retirement to manage a baseball team if you want to manage again. A, he's a Hall of Fame manager who's notorious for getting like the most out of his teams and stuff. I mean, he is just proven to be a really good manager. He won those three World Series, 2010, 2012, 2014 with the Giants. He also had a lot of success with the Padres for a long time. They were really good in the the late 90s and then picked back up again in like the mid-aughts, like 04 through like 08. They were a really solid team. And he he was retired. Like, it's crazy to me. He came out of retirement to manage the Rangers, and I don't think I talked about it enough because now point B, not that only he's a good manager, he wouldn't just come out of retirement to manage some sorry-ass team. Like, he clearly thought he could win with this Rangers team, and I think that tells us a lot and something I totally did not read into when the season started. I was like, oh, no, that's a great hire because Bruce Bochy is just a really good manager. I didn't think of it from the other side of Bruce Bochy where he was in retirement. If he's asked to come out of retirement, he looks at this Rangers team, he could have just said, nah, no, I just don't believe it. I just, nah, not worth it. Like, he's not going to come out of retirement just to manage another middling team vying for the last wildcard spot at best. Like, I think he thought this Rangers team could be this good, and they have been this good. Like, well, it's a long season, but all the young hitters have been raking, like I said. Like, DeGrom has been hurt, like we expected, but they haven't really missed a beat. I didn't even talk about Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning in DeGrom's absence has been really good. It's just, I don't know, there's a version of this team that looks like the Mets right now. And I, and I think it could head that way at some point. But the start has been huge. The start for them has been massive, especially just for confidence of all these young hitters. And with the Astros and Mariners kind of scuffling to start the year, the Astros have picked it up, the Mariners haven't really. But it's been huge to start the year. They've been really impressive. And we'll see. We'll see if they come back to earth or they just keep rocketing into first place in the division. That'd be pretty wacky. But that's the end of my five-minute rant. Shout out to Bruce Bochy, he's a pretty cool dude, but I hope the Rangers don't continue being this good for the whole year. That would kind of suck. Um, be fun to watch because their offense is raking, but I'd rather them not be for Mariners fandom's sake. But that was it. That was the five-minute rant. And now, what should we do? I'll go Chaos Moment of the Week. Let's go to the Chaos Moment of the Week. It's back. I didn't have it three weeks ago. I was out last week. It's back now. And we got a pretty good one that was pretty funny. The chaos moment of this week comes with a weird injury. And baseball has, has a history of weird injuries, particularly to pitchers, I will say. And if you didn't see this news, I don't blame you, but it was pretty funny. Uh, Giants pitcher Anthony Descalafani, he was pitching last week, I believe... Um, Last weekend, like, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 days ago, something like that. He threw 77 pitches, and then he grimaced in pain an inning before while covering uh, a first base tag on a, on a grounder. And also, before his departure, he really had a tough time moving to go get a bunt, and then he had to exit the game. And no one really knew exactly what the injury was, but apparently... Uh, Gabe Kapler said that a few weeks prior to that, 
he, uh, Anthony Descafani, he dropped the piano bench on his right toe. Kapler said his toenail took the brunt of it. That was bothering him. He was able to continue to pitch and felt good enough to keep rolling, but we had an eye on him as that nail was coming off and causing him quite a bit of pain. Good lord. And then Descafani was asked about it said one of the funnier things I've ever heard, I've heard, not ever heard, one of the funnier things I've heard this year out of baseball, he said, the thing literally squared up my toe. <laughs> the most pitcher description of this injury that could have happened. It is really funny. There's not much else to that. Is that is that basically, like, it, hit, it squared up his toe. And he said his toe nail was basically hanging on by a thread. And if you ever try to squeeze yourself into shoes after something like that or pitch or drive your foot into the ground, ow, that hurts. And he said it just got worse and worse as the nail got looser and looser. And this was hilarious and chaotic to me and reminded of a lot of just random, random ass pitcher injuries. But this one was pretty funny, particularly because I read the headline. I saw piano. I saw foot. I saw Descafani. And I imagine for for a second, a cartoon like an uh, an Acme type situation. Desclafani walks out of his, I don't know where he lives in San Francisco house, townhome, apartment, whatever. He walks out his front door to go get a morning bagel or something, and uh, a cartoon type piano just falls from the sky and crushes him, and he's injured. That's what I imagined this was. Clearly, obviously, it's not. It wasn't a full piano. It was a piano bench, so it's different. But I thought this injury was funny and a good reminder that pitchers, baseball players in general, but again, pitchers just get injured in the weird, weirdest ways. Like last year, even remember Lance McCullers hurt himself after they after the Astros beat the Mariners in the ALDS to go to the championship series. I'm pretty sure Lance McCullers hurt his elbow after it got hit with a champagne bottle during celebrations and it had to push his start back for the CS. Pretty ridiculous. I remember pitchers constantly are punching walls with their pitching hand for the weirdest, like the weirdest possible reason. Like I like what are you doing? It's the dumbest shit ever. And it happens a lot. It's surprising how much it actually happens. Like I'm thinking Devin Williams the after the Brewers clinched the central last year. Uh Devin Williams like punched a wall when he got home and he was too drunk and was angry at something. And like a few years ago for the Blue Jays, I remember Husker Noah uh, in frustration punched a wall after a start or something and broke his hand. Just like, if you're a pitcher, why are you punching anything? But that was the chaos moment of the week. That was just funny, especially because I read the headline and immediately thought of a cartoon moment. It unfortunately wasn't as funny as that, but the way he described it, that it squared up his toe absolutely took me out. And now it is time for the chaos moment of the week. We're 15 minutes in, have not really said a word about Mariners baseball, and I like it that way. And I won't for another 10 minutes probably, because the baseball reference player of the week has some fantastic lore about him, and his name is Oil Can Boyd. The, I think the most recent baseball reference player of the week we've had, he made his debut in 1982, he was a pitcher for the Red Sox, he, uh, at one point with the Red Sox, was called the hottest pitching prospect in the Red Sox system, and he had, he had a pretty good career for the Red Sox. He has seven. He played most of his years there. He played for the Expos later in his career, but he played for the Red Sox uh, from 1982 to 1989. 
Put up 17.3 career war in his career with a 4.04 ERA. Uh, 1,400 innings, 800 strikeouts. Honestly, in that era, that's that not too bad. That's not too bad. But it's what Oil Can did during these games that really makes him makes him different. First of all, they called him Oil Can Boyd uh, because of his. Uh, it's coming from his beer drinking days in his hometown of Meridian, Mississippi, where beer was referred to as oil, which I think is pretty sweet, honestly. Uh, also, his his dad was named Willie Skeeter Boyd. Uh, and this dude's name also is Dennis Ray Boyd, but everyone knows him as Oil Can Boyd for the beer drinking. But now let's get into the real, real interesting part. The legacy section of his Wikipedia page, and I have corroborated this with many sources. I read about him all too much the past couple days to prepare for this because I fell down a rabbit hole, and he's really interesting. So, he... Oil Can Boyd had some problems. Uh... He had a very, apparently a very temperamental personality, which manifests itself in the dugout a lot, apparently, arguments with his teammates, but also, like, on the mound, he was a very flamboyant, like, described as a flamboyant pitcher, like I said, uh, but he admitted to drug use during his career, and it's been very well documented, so Boyd was introduced to crack cocaine during spring training in 1986. He later admitted that on May 11th, 1986, prior to a game in Oakland, he smoked crack before taking the mound, which it reminds me of, uh, oh, blanking on his name, but the, the dude, Doc, Doc something, I think, who, uh, who took LSD and pitched a no hitter or something. Um, but this is a quote, this is a quote from Oil Camp Boyd. Uh, there was a story done about him by Buster only about a decade ago said, quote, I get to the ballpark, all the ball players are on the field, you know, taking batting practice and everything, and I walk in the clubhouse and I get my pipe with me. I can remember going and locking myself up in the bathroom and smoking some dope right there at the ballpark. Listen, it's not funny. Like, dr drug use and drug addiction, it's not funny, but objectively, before a baseball game, it's actually insane to do this and then go on and be, like, actually a pretty good baseball player. Uh, he's been covered... A lot of different stories have been written about him because he's been super open about his drug use uh, post-playing career, which I think is really cool. I think that only leads to cooler stories and, you know, owning up to what you've done in your career. And apparently there was a World Series game in 1986 that he had been drinking and was too drunk to pitch during the game, which really is unfortunate and apparently it wasn't just that game he used crack in, in 1986. You go further on to read that he admitted that he used crack every day of the 1986 season. And that was and he was also high on marijuana in every baseball game he played from Little League all the way through college. Which, let's just think about this for a second. He made it to the majors and had a very respectable career, all while smoking crack and weed since, since, I don't know, Little League, so he was, what, nine when he started smoking weed, and then he got into crack during MLB, and he still went out there and, and threw good innings. So I went back to 1986, to his game logs. First of all, I took the May 11th game, the game where he admitted to smoking crack right before, but apparently he'd been doing it 
all that season. I don't know. It was unclear if he'd been doing it before every game or just using it, you know, throughout every season. But that one game on May 11th, they're playing the Oakland A's. He got the win. He pitched seven innings, gave up four hits, four runs, two walks, and two strikeouts, and got the win all while smoking crack right before the game. And then just the 1986 season as a whole, where apparently he had been addicted to crack for the whole season, very good year. He had 214 innings pitched with a 3.78 ERA and 129 strikeouts, 111 ERA+. plus. This guy's an inspiration, not for drug use, obviously. Again, don't smoke crack. And I'm glad he is he's, he is clean. He doesn't do crack anymore. But that is admirable. Those are those are stats guys can't put up when they're dead sober. Maybe, nope, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to suggest that more pitchers smoke crack to get the edge. But you get my point. This is impressive that he put up those stats while smoking crack. And the legend of oil can gets better. His intense charisma during Red Sox games specifically was evidenced by fist pumps, shouting from the dugout, and high fives for teammates. He was also a go-to player for quotes in the Boston press. Among his well-known quotes is one made in reference to a game postponed at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium due to fog from Lake Erie. Remember that. Fog from Lake Erie. When asked about the situation, Boyd responded, quote, that's what you get for building a ballpark on the ocean, end quote. <laughs> what? I love this dude. He's awesome. Just fantastic. He also, he had relatives who played in the Negro Leagues too, which is pretty sweet. His uh, two uncles, KT Boyd, played for the Kansas City Monarchs, and Robert Boyd played for the Kansas City Athletics and Memphis Red Sox of the Negro Leagues. His great-great-uncle, Benjamin Boyd, played for the Memphis Red Sox and Homestead, Homestead Grays. And then Boyd is also apparently related to Barry Larkin, who is Boyd's father's first cousin, which is crazy. So he, baseball runs in his family. So really, like, he was born to, to play baseball, despite being addicted to crack for a little bit, still born to throw baseballs and be very good at it, which is pretty crazy. I would encourage you to go read more about this guy. I think there is a documentary about him. There's a there's a I think there's a book about him too. He fascinating career. Absolutely fascinating career. He was also 6'2, 150 pounds, which that that is really skinny, but is it that surprising if he was smoking crack? He pitched 10 years in the majors before blood clots in his right arm ended his career. But what a career, honestly, he already had. Very respectable. And uh, this is the first player besides Danny Ainge, the first baseball player who's still alive to this day that I've done this uh, baseball reference player of the week on. So if I could talk to Oil Can right now, I would. Maybe I'll try to get him on the show. Ask him how it is to pitch on crack and how he was so good at it. But that's it. That's the baseball reference player of the week. That was a good one. Shout out to Oil Can Boyd. And now... I guess I guess I'll talk about Mariners baseball. I mean, the last two weeks, like I said earlier, they haven't done much for me. Like they, they're still right below 500, similar to where they were two weeks ago. So I recorded on the seventh, released on the eighth. They took uh, one of three from the Rangers in a series that was insanely frustrating. They 
They ruined a Logan, a Logan Gilbert start. He went six and two thirds, two earned runs, ten Ks. They let John Gray absolutely savage them, which is honestly pretty embarrassing. Then they win the next game of the series in the rubber match. Boy, the Mariners have been awful in rubber matches this year. Just absolutely terrible. Uh, But the rubber match of this game, you had Luis Castillo give you five innings, three earned, nine Ks. The bullpen came in, only gave up one run over the preceding four innings. And they let Dane Dunning absolutely savage the offense. And they lose that series to the Rangers, which those games are so winnable at home and they drop two of three and then they go to Detroit they win two of three they go to the Red Sox they drop two of three and then recently uh, they go to the Braves and drop two of three they refuse to get swept they refuse to do any sweeping of any kind they merely want to exist as a mech baseball team not much has really changed that much either the offense is still scuffling the pitching has been great the Red Sox series was tough it was tough. We had Luis Castillo have an absolute howler of a start. Marco had a howler of a start. The offense came alive in the first game and then didn't really do much the next two, but they you know, gave up nine runs and 12 runs, so how much can you really ask from the offense there? Just They're just frustrating me. It's, it's day-to-day with how this team is going to play. And going into the Braves series, I would have been happy it if at the start of the month you told me they took one of three in Atlanta, like Atlanta's an insanely good baseball team. I picked them to win the World Series before the year. But then you look at what happens in that series and you get, again, stop me if you've heard this before, great pitching pitching, and scuttling offense, especially against uh, not Spencer Strider. They, they didn't face Spencer Strider which is why the Rangers series is frustrating too. They didn't even face Evaldi and DeGrom was on the IL. They took advantage on Saturday of the Braves' bullpen day. They beat them 7-3. The offense looked pretty solid, but the day before, they lost 6-2 in a game that was pretty winnable up until the late innings when Scott left Bryce Miller out there for the 7th, which honestly, not a great move in most people's eyes. Bryce Miller still ends up he he go he went six, uh six, one run, innings with four Ks and then he ends up with three earns so still a quality start his ERA sits at one point four two that was a, just a tough one to lose and today as I sit here right now after watching the Mariners lose three to two to the Braves George Kirby. Again, with a fantastic start. This dude is so good. Kelnick hit a home run. But no. Kirby goes seven innings, three earned, six Ks, one walk. And the Mariners offense scores two runs total against a starter who they should have probably scored more runs against in Jared Schuster. Like, he looked pretty good, but just, like, they left Caballero on third twice in that game. He ends up hitting a home run his first of his career. But they still end up losing. It's just frustrating. That's I just don't want I don't want to talk about this team. You know, sometimes I just don't want to talk about them. What I will say is Bryce Miller continues to look pretty good. Still throwing seventy to eighty percent of fastballs in the Friday start. I think I tweeted about it. He the last few starts he's missing a lot more bats, and I think that's just. I think I I talked about it after his first two. 
as he compiles more data, pitcher or not pitchers, teams and batters will continue to figure him out. But even in that Braves game, it was clear they were told he was throwing the fastball 75% of the time. And he did throw the fastball 75% of the time, but he was getting a whole lot of weak contact and a little bit of luck. He gave up like seven or eight or actually no, nine hard hits in that game. So that's not great. But sometimes when you're pitching this well, you get a little lucky. And he got a little lucky that day and only ended up giving three earned. And I'm honestly putting two of those earned runs on Scott Service. But he's still, I don't know. I'm not I'm not worried about him. But I think his ERA will balloon a little bit the next couple of weeks unless he makes an adjustment with his secondary stuff. But it shows the power of his fastball. The Braves are the best lineup in baseball. And they were hitting it. They were hitting his pitches a little hard, but still, there was a lot of there was a lot of guys who couldn't really square up the fastball, despite knowing he's going to throw it to him. And that is crazy. That's pretty crazy. And then Logan has looked fantastic. Luis Castillo's looked not great the past few weeks. And uh, Kirby, Logan, and Bryce are looking great. Particularly Kirby, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert. Man, they look awesome. They look awesome. I'm not going to talk about this team as a whole. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to paint with a broad brush here about the team and then individually go and talk about a couple couple boys, one boy in particular with a large dumper. But to paint with a broad brush, this team hasn't changed in the past two weeks. Like I said, the pitching's been great. The offense has been all right. Not great. Not amazing. Not good, really. Uh, but it's become... A large problem and fairly evident that they've built this team with a glaring lack of speed. They signed AJ Pollock this year, and I think he's third on the team in uh, top speed, which is awesome. That's great. Love that. And I think, honestly, with a lack of speed, especially in the stolen base era with the new bags and the pitch clock, I think it's hurting them. Because when you when you have a lack of speed, maybe you compensate with hitting a lot of home runs. You know, a lot of home runs, a lot of extra base hits. You don't really have to rely on your singles and stolen bases to move guys over. But they're not really doing that either. Or just be really, you could also just be really, really solid with runners in scoring position and taking advantage of the base runners you do get. Despite maybe they, they're they not moving over on their own. Maybe you, you get a team that gets really good at hitting with runners on. Oh, they're not good at that either. So... They don't, really, they don't excel at either of those things. They don't really excel at a lot offensively. And I, I think there's a lot of questions about the team building offensively. It just leaves a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to be desired, especially in the speed department, especially in this day and age where you're given stolen bases almost at this point. And when you look at the league leaders in stolen bases right now, the Mariners, where are they? They are... Bottom six, they're tied for what looks like 25th in the league with uh, 26 stolen bases tied with the White Sox. The teams below them, the Giants, the Nationals, the Tigers, the Angels, the Twins, the Rockies. There's a common denominator with all those teams. All those teams are meh to bad. And then you look at the teams at the top. It's very interesting, the teams at the top, actually. Uh, The Pirates are leading the league with stolen bases, which is a very large factor of why they've been off to such a hot start, cooled off a little bit. The Rays are second. The A's are third. That's like the only thing they do well. 
the Guardians are fourth, the Orioles are fifth, the Cubs are sixth, the Marlins are seventh, Blue Jays, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, Yankees, Brewers. All those teams are good and better than the Mariners right now. Mm. Mm. Guardians, Marlins, Cardinals are right now, but we'll see. I just, it's weird. It's weird that they've built this team with no speed. And yes, you're missing this Dylan Moore. You are missing Sam Haggerty, but also those guys don't play every day. It's not like like your everyday players are not really getting you steals. Like Ty France, Gino, uh, Caballero's been stealing, which is nice. Like JP's not really a speed demon. Ty Oscar's not a speed demon. Kellenick doesn't steal that many bases. Julio is really the only starter, and I guess Caballero's our starter now. Those two guys are like the two guys we rely on now, I guess, for stolen bases. And in this day and age, when you can swipe as many bags as you want, I question it. I question why they've built the team like this. And again, if you're not going to steal bases, at least rake, and they're not doing that either, so it's just frustrating. Give me Jonathan Class A up here already to have a 50, 50 stolen base season. I I just think, and if I've learned anything from playing out-of-the-park baseball, team building is very important, obviously. Not just getting good players, but players that kind of fit around each other and collectively do their part to make up an identity of the team and the way you want to play. And I don't know how the Mariners offense wants to play. I know a couple years ago, Jerry Depoto talked about controlling the zone. And honestly, they kind of did that. But this year, uh, uh-uh, not at all. A glaring lack of controlling the zone. I, I mean, they, they walk a mediocre amount and they strike out top three in the league in strikeouts right now. They're bottom five in average, bottom six in OBP, bottom five in slugging. They're not controlling shit at the plate. At the at the end of the day, as if you get guys on and you are a really good stolen base team, that is such a crucial factor in creating runs that your your bats have a lack of doing, which the Mariners' bats have a lack of creating runs. And you've we've seen it, like Caballero even today. He should have scored twice, at least once, when he was on third. But we've seen it. Julio has been scuffling hard at the plate. We we all know this. He's hitting like 210 right now. But he has the most runs scored on the team. Part of it is he's in, he played in the leadoff spot a little bit, but he hasn't been in the leadoff spot in a couple weeks. And it's when he's on base, he steals bases. That's why he has the most runs on the team. It's not super difficult to understand. It's just I wanted to voice my frustrations with it because especially with the stolen base numbers being up and the Mariners being so poor in that department, it's just it's I question I question the team building and I probably will the whole season. And we're seeing right now a, a team you build on paper that's 500 on paper, 80 to 85 wins on paper. You need a lot to go right for you to win 90 games like the last two years. You need to pull some shit out of your ass. You need to get really good at winning one-run games. you got to get lucky. They haven't done any of those this year. Probably some luck. Probably just like maybe the last two years are just biting them in the ass. Because you build an elite team. like You build an elite team like the Braves. And it's tough to compare to the Braves. They're such a unique situation. But you build a great team... So when you underperform or when you have injuries or you when you have got new guys who are completely underperforming, you're still hopefully going to win 
85 to 90 games when your ceiling might be 100 because you built a great team on paper. When you build a mediocre team and rely on a lot of things to go correct, it just leaves so little room for error. Like The variance of this team is crazy, and we're seeing it right now with Julio not hitting well. Colton Wong, that trade didn't work out well right now. Uh, Robbie Ray is on the IL. I mean, the pitching hasn't been the issue. It's just they've built this team not set up to fail, but with such little margin for error. And when anything goes wrong, it can really throw off the whole season. And the season's not over. It's it's May. But the speed problem is just, it's manifesting itself a little bit, especially with the lack of situational hitting that this team does. And then Scott and the coaching staff in the front office honestly some of the some of the pitching and bullpen decisions they've made this year and I'm not one to super complain about that because I recognize it's very difficult to do that and uh, it's very easy on Twitter to say oh I would have done this differently after the outcome didn't work out when maybe the process was correct and I'm guilty of that I definitely do that sometimes but some of the some of the decisions especially recently like in the Braves series Bryce Miller goes six strong innings, one run, four Ks. He's at middling, like, high 80s pitching, and you put him back out there for the seventh, and then he does. He lets two runners on. You take him out and put in Trevor Gott, who has been awful with when you put him into a high-lever situation like that. Gott has been great when you put him in with no runners on base to start the inning. You put runners on, and then you put him in, and look what happens. He gives up runs, like... Do they look at the data? Was that just vibes? Was that just a mistake? That w- It was just bad. It was just bad all around. And then n- taking Logan out, too, of that game after he was pitching so well and he had under 100 pitches and they take him out and not let him try to finish out this, like, seventh, it's just frustrating. But whatever. I'm done talking about this whole team. Let's talk about Kyle Rowley and his defense so far this year. I randomly was like, how's he doing this year? Because he made some strides last season. And I wanted to see how he was doing so far this year. And it's only May. And defensive stats, I don't know. Defensive stats are weird. Uh, Even more so than other stats, I tend to not really pay super attention until we're in June or even nearing the All-Star break because... They're just, they're pretty volatile sometimes, but I wanted to see how his catching stats lined up against the league so far this year and then see what improvements he's either made or not made to start the year. Let's start with blocking. He's never really been a very good blocker, and this year he's proving he's still not a very good blocker. He's at negative two blocks above average. Which is not great, but that's also what he put up last year, so I think just one of his weak points is blocking at this point. Uh, Framing-wise, this is this one's interesting to me because he was a really good framer last year. He was an elite framer. I think he was third or fourth in the entire league in framing runs, catcher framing runs last year. This year, he's at zero. So, you know, bang average. There are... 17 catchers who have at least one framing run or above, four being the highest, uh, between Jonah Heim, Sean Murphy, and Austin Hedges, which are not surprising. And then there's about 20 guys who are at zero. And Kyle is at zero, and honestly, if you're just a league average framer, that's fine. It's just weird, and we'll see what the end of the number, or later on in the season, we'll see what the numbers look like, 
It's just he was he was elite last year at framing. Like last season, he had nine catcher framing runs, and that was good for yeah fourth in the league, which is pretty crazy. And this, so far this year, it hasn't been as good. Maybe that's his thumb injury. Maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe just who knows? Who knows really? And then pop time, catcher pop time. And if you go look at this on Statcast on Baseball Savant. It is actually insane to see how much better JT Realmuto is than every other catcher at this. He has a 1.81 average pop time. The second place is Christian Bethencourt, 1.88.07 seconds more than the second place, and that is significant. That's a significant amount of time uh, when we're talking pop time. Any any fraction of a second matters. And right now, Cal is ranked 25th in the league. 1.97, which is fine. Anything below two is like perfectly fine. We we live with that, and that's not really bad. It's just not elite, but that's fine. But that's fine. Uh, what he really does excel at so far this year, which is really really encouraging, is throwing. His catcher's caught stealing above average is two right now. He ranks seventh in the league, uh, and catcher stealing runs with one right now, and that's really encouraging. And then let's just go look at what he did last year and compare. Last year, blocks above average again. Negative two last year, negative two this year. I think blocking is his biggest weak point behind the plate. And then his uh, his caught stealing above average last year uh, was negative one. And so far this year, it's two. A full two above average, which is really, really good. And then you look at his pop time. When he was a rookie, he was 2.08. Last year is 1.98. Now this year it's 1.95. That's steady improvement. Same with exchange time. Uh, rookie, it was 0.91. Last year it's 0.77. And this year it's 0.7. And then his arm strength has kind of remained the same. So his arm strength has remained the same, but his pop time and the, when he gets it out of his glove, it's it's a way improved. And the fact that it's a year-by-year year improvement since his rookie year in 2020 run, really encouraging. And honestly, I think... Blocks is something that would make me a little frightened if he's always going to be a below average blocker because I think that is just a really valuable skill to have. But the fact that he's improved his his caught stealing numbers significantly since his rookie year is really encouraging, especially going into this new era of new rules. If he's an average framer, that's fine. But then in the next couple of years, if they adopt the robot zone or the challenge system, I don't think framing is going to be as important as it's been emphasized as past like decade, as framing runs have become more and more important and stealing strikes have become more and more important. They're going to be less important whenever that system comes in. So if he's an average framer right now, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. It's the fact that he's really improved his cost stealing abilities, pop time, exchange, throwing arm. That is crucial in, like I talked about earlier with our lack of speed on this team, that is crucial right now especially. The way guys are stealing, the way the pitch clock has incentivized stealing the bigger bases, the fact that he is one of the better catchers in the league right now and throwing runners out is so much more important to me than framing. And going forward, I think it's going to be ever more important. So that is, when I was just looking through the numbers, that is what stood out. And that is what really, really encourages me going forward with this guy, especially because it's clear he, he he worked really hard to get better. And honestly, yeah, keep the framing. Don't work on framing. 
as much as pop time and stuff because I, I, I just think it's going to be way less important in the coming decades for the game when the robot zone is adopted. I still think it's pretty important, especially right now. And it's weird that he's taken such a step back since last year, but maybe by the end of the season, the numbers will be similar to last year. He'll be an elite framer again, but honestly, again, I care so much more about him throwing guys out. Uh, And then really the blocking is what he should really be working on right now. But that was, that was interesting to me is seeing those, those weird framing discrepancies so far this year, but yeah, it's only May. So we'll see, we'll see what the numbers look like. I'll check back in in like a month or two two months around the all-star break just to see where those numbers have ended up but uh the steady improvements of the pop time exchange very encouraging very encouraging and it's it's evident he's had some really awesome throws at second base this year eye test wise he does just look more lethal throwing guys out which is pretty great pretty awesome now i i don't want to talk anymore about this baseball team really i would like to say george kirby he's going to win a Cy Young in his career. I'm very confident in that. I think he might be our best starter right now. He's a quality start machine. He's really efficient, which just makes him go way deeper into games than a lot of starters. He doesn't rely on strikeouts. He gets a lot of strikeouts, but he doesn't, you know, rely on it. Like I would say, like Logan Gilbert relies on whiffs a lot more. Kirby is just efficient. He doesn't walk guys. He doesn't mess around. He goes right at you. I love watching him pitch. Logan, though, it's a completely different different type of thing with Logan. I love watching him pitch almost equally, and especially now with his splitter. That last start against the Braves, he threw like 20 splitters, and AJ Przinski on the broadcast was like, I've never seen him throw this many splitters. This has to be the most, and it was by far. It, was really, it looked fantastic. He was getting whiffs galore with that splitter, especially tunneling that with his fastball because he runs his fastball up on these hitters at 98 max but then he was dropping the splitters not like below the zone he was dropping them into the zone which leads him to believe that Cal and him are trying to raise the eye level with his fastball which he already does and then throw the splitter which is fastball 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 for 60 feet and then boom drops basically into the center of the zone but they're swinging for a f- upper fastball that's in the zone looks really good looks really good so I'm very very encouraged by that. And the slider and the curveball have already just looked solid. So I man, I'm I this rotation, this pitching just has me so excited, especially for the future. Like Luis Castillo's gonna be fine. He's scuffling right now. Not very hard for to figure out what's wrong with him. His stuff still looks fine. Uh just stop throwing pitches down the middle of the plate and you'll be fine. That's really what's bitten him in the ass the past couple of weeks, but I would just like to say, on record, George Kirby will win a Cy Young at some point in his career, and I love, love, love this pitching staff. Even Marco still. I still even like Marco. I think Marco is fine as a fifth starter. Everyone hates him, and for, you know, not for good reason, but I get why everyone hates him. He doesn't throw hard. It's not like he's throwing... Like, if he had the same numbers but had insane stuff, I think people would like him a lot more. It's just the fact that he throws 90, and when his bad starts are bad, it looks real bad when he's just throwing 90 mile-an-hour meatballs. I was going to say, I think I think he should adopt some Nestor Cortez-isms up there on the mound. I think he should start 
really aggressively trying to play with timing and fucking around with hitters completely. Like I think you should do the nester. You raise the you raise the leg and then you just kind of shimmy for a little bit. He should start doing that. I, I think that would be awesome. Imagine he does that; and it turns him into a a positive positive starting pitcher. But that was me talking glazing uh, over this pitching staff, whom I love. And the last couple things I would like to say, Julio is a cereal now, and I'd love to know what Julio tastes like. So if anyone could send that to me, I'm not. Apparently it's only in the Seattle Fred Myers. So anyone in the state of Washington who wants to send me some Julio cereal, I will eat it live on podcast and give you a review. Uh, and I want to, again, I want to know what a Julio cereal tastes like. What does Julio Rodriguez taste like? What do you think he tastes like? I don't know. Excellence. Who knows? And last last thing I want to say, I think Ty France should be mic'd up every single game. Every time he's at first base, he's got a sinister little smile on his face when he's talking to the hitters. And he was he was mic'd up a few days ago. And I love the mic'd up when they then compile it all at the end into fun clips. Like there was uh, uh, the Brewers, Rowdy Telez was mic'd up the other day and was like Luke Voigt saying Luke Voigt, welcome to the to the Beef Boy crew or something, which is pretty awesome. I think Ty should be mic'd up every game. I want to hear what he's saying constantly because he just seems like a funny dude. Uh, and that is my take on that. I mic'd up every game, please. Oh, and then one more thing, a hypothetical. Before we get out of here, if Ichiro Suzuki came to the Mariners and said, hey, I would like to pitch. I would like to be a major league player again, reset my Hall of Fame clock, and be a bullpen pitcher. And we've seen Ichiro pitch before. He's pretty damn good at pitching, especially for a position player. We saw him pitch for the Marlins years ago before he retired. And he had like an 80, he was throwing like 80 mile an hour sliders and was getting up to the high 80s and stuff. He looked like a good pitcher. And the Mariners obviously would say no to him pitching on the Mariners. But what if, what if he was like, okay. And then he went to the Oakland A's. Do you think the Oakland A's would give him some run in their bullpen right now? I think yes. If Ichiro approached the Oakland A's, and if the Oakland A's front office, and obviously the owner has tasked, has tasked them with making the games as unwatchable as possible so no one goes, so that they can use that as a catalyst to move. If the Oakland A's wanted to do a little publicity stunt, it was like, hey, we got Ichiro pitching, I think that would get some people to the ballpark. I would entertain driving up to Oakland from uh, Southern California and seeing that because that would be awesome. So if Ichiro wanted to pitch for the A's, would they let him? And would he last in their bullpen? Like, how long would he last? It'd be intriguing. And now I kind of want to see it happen. But that's what I'm going to leave you with this week. Thank you for listening this far. Appreciate it. Uh, You are legally obligated now to clip this, uh, to, to hit share copy link go to the group go to the go to the iMessage of your phone hit all contacts and drop my episode in there uh, you have to do that that you've listened to this far it's a legal obligation I don't want to get lawyers involved but I will so you best do that and uh, I appreciate it in advance so without further ado have a good rest of your week and especially go Mariners